Welcome to the Let's Talk South Coast podcast. We'll be showcasing the South Coast region as a thriving economy for businesses to locate to. And now here's your host, Nella Pang. Welcome back to episode seven of the Let's Talk South Coast podcast. Today, I've been searching for somebody that's an expert in the ESG field. And I could think of no better person than my colleague, Jonathan Trice of Amiga RA. So this is a little bit of a spin on things. So today we invite Johnny to the podcast. Welcome, Johnny. Hello. Thanks, Nella. Um, so, Johnny, for people that have yet to meet you, because you joined Amigo RE this time last year, give the audience a little bit of background of who you are. Sure. So, as you mentioned, I joined Amigo RE about a year ago, having moved from JLL. And it was part of a wider relocation for my wife and I, who had both spent the first 10 years of our careers in London. And we wanted to move to the South Coast. And joining Nello was a key part of that journey. So that here we are now. And I can't believe it's been a year and what a year it has been. Yeah, absolutely. Like we were saying before, if you had uh, if you told me it was three, I would believe you. We've packed it. We've packed a lot in. <laughs> Indeed. I think you have a few more grey hairs, so apologies for that. <laughs> yeah. So we're here to talk about ESG and it's been hitting the headlines quite a bit. So can you give our audience a little bit of insight of why ESG has been making the headlines? Well, I think, first of all, ESG standing for environmental, social and governance is a bit of a catch-all term that most people have seen. I think from a general society perspective, I think there is a move towards more corporate accountability where large businesses are having to prove to their customer base that they are fulfilling staff welfare, they're fulfilling their promises on sustainability um, with climate change being in the headlines. So I think it's I think it's reflected more of a of a wider social movement um, and large corporate vehicle, large corporate businesses um, as well as consumers are taking note of it. Absolutely. And I think with everything, with the pandemic, climate change, I think the whole shift in people's perception of what's important to them um, from a personal level, and I think it's being represented in the corporate level. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot, a lot sort of a lot of merit in that. The consumers have a lot of choice, and they're demanding that their ethos is matched by the businesses that they interact with. And you're seeing a lot of certification that reflects that. B Corp, etc., is one of them, um, and this fits in with a whole pattern of ESG. Absolutely. And that's something that at Amigari, as you know, being one of the key instigators on our journey to become a B Corp organisation. And just for our listeners, why do you think B Corp is necessary for companies like ours? So B Corp is a certification that companies can get that shows that they have changed or adapted the way that they do business to reflect um, a checklist of of positive things so whether that's environmental or customer services um and you see it a lot with consumer brands patagonia is the famous one um but you're seeing it more and more in the corporate world and i think what it does is give customers or clients confidence that you as a business are focused on more than just making profit 
Absolutely. And I think one of the most important things is that you're not just signing up and it's a tick box exercise. We're actually making it's a legal requirement. So we have made the amendments on our company's house records that we are going to be fulfilling those items. Um, So it's not I wouldn't say it's because some people may say that people signing up for B Corp is greenwashing. So we're actually basically putting our money where our mouth is and actually saying, no, this is what we believe in and this is what we're signing up for. Well, it's a constructive process as well. I think we found they give you a lot of insight into how you can improve certain bits where you might be lagging or things that you can think about in terms of future strategy. So it's, it's a constructive thing rather than here's a list, you've got to jump through all the hoops and then you get a certificate. It's actually progressive, which I think is which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with the rise of ESG investing, this is becoming more and more important for our investors. Can you just explain to our audience then why an ESG should be on their agenda and on their radar? Sure. I think when we talk about ESG from a real estate perspective, the bulk of it comes down to sustainability, as far as I'm concerned, because that's where real estate has a major impact onto the world. What we are seeing is a lot of institutional investors will only buy product that meets certain environmental criteria. So if you are a developer and you are developing out assets and your end buyer happens to be a fund, you need to be mindful of what product they're looking for. That also combines with what tenants are demanding from their assets. You'll see a lot of requirements out in the market that will only look at certain buildings, or I should say look at buildings that have certain sustainability criteria. If you subscribe to the fact that tenants are your customer base, what the customer is demanding from his real estate is changing, and you have to adapt to that. Absolutely. And then in terms of occupiers that are looking to relocate, what should they be looking out for then? Well, I think there's there are certain certifications and criteria, EPC being one, BRIAM being one, but also there are other certifications that buildings can get that show show off its sort of its credentials, um, whether that be focused on wellness or whether that be focused on other things. Um, there are certain certifications they can look out for, but a lot of the time you will see tenant requirements around ESG will reflect their corporate agenda. So a lot of it will be fitting in with the mantra that they've set out. And you can see a lot of that on companies' websites. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be even more important about the company's reputation. I think as businesses continue to navigate this new way of working, the kind of global competition is becoming more fierce. Um, So I think a lot of companies are signing up to their ESG agendas to figure out what do they represent, what values, one for retention of employees and the ability to attract and retain employment. What's your view on that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, People, I, commercial real estate performs a number of functions for, for tenants. It's obviously a place to work, but it's also something that shows off their brand and the building has to fit in with the brand and the ethos. So if they are looking at a more sustainable future for their business, then the buildings have obviously got to reflect it. I also think there is a war for talent and being able to describe or show your incoming staff that they are in a building that reflects their individual attitudes as well it can only be a positive and you know there is undoubtedly 
issues that employers face about getting staff back into the office full time if that's what they want to do and being able to demonstrate that their office is actually a constructive place to be as well as sustainable it's it's a huge positive and i think one that's probably overlooked at the moment but is definitely becoming more and more prevalent yeah so in the year that or not necessarily just in the year that you've been working for migo re because you've obviously worked at jlal and knight frank and obviously what are you seeing in buildings coming forward that are kind of ticking those ESG criteria? Well, I think there is, in terms of how buildings are presented, you're seeing much less of a corporate feel to large-scale office buildings for sure. They're made a more, you know, a lot more based around perhaps what we consider to be hotels or perhaps you know a more domestic setting. So lots of breakout spaces in there attractive environments to be rather than just whitewashed walls, a focus on breakout space and collaboration space. But in terms of technical stuff, definitely focus on photovoltaics is one that I've noticed being a a major feature coming through, and particularly in the industrial sector. That's what I've noticed the most, is you're seeing a lot of things that you would typically associate with office buildings coming through to industrial units and focusing on mainly sustainability. Yeah, fantastic. And then, obviously, you just touched uh, upon the industrial sector. One of our clients that we're acting for on a national basis, Halo ARC, obviously, we're acquiring units from five to 10,000 square feet across the UK. If you can just tell our audience a little bit more about what you're seeing when you're on the road, when you're acquiring for Halo across the UK in terms of the quality and specification of what you're seeing coming forward. It's an interesting point and demonstrates a lot of what we've been talking about. Halo ARC are a business that's focused on being carbon neutral. Um, So that's in operations, but they are taking a long, hard look at their real estate and seeing how that fits into their criteria as well. So typically with Halo, to fit in with their corporate brand, we're looking at newer units. Now, the newer units obviously have the luxury of being able to... um, build in sustainability features from the ground up. But what I think that is reflective of is a shift in the definition of prime, ultimately. So when we're out on the road and you're looking at a prime unit, obviously location, et cetera, plays a huge part. But you're seeing a lot of rainwater harvesting coming in, new efficient LED lighting, attempts to reduce drafts through effective insulation, to reduce energy costs for occupiers, also photovoltaic cells, all becoming quite commonplace in those prime units. And have you come across any in terms of like sensory technology where they're monitoring pollution, for example? Is that something that we should be keeping an eye on in terms of future initiatives? Yeah, and I think, to be honest, less so on the industrial side of things, but you're certainly seeing in offices a lot lot more sophisticated building monitoring systems and readouts that show quality of air within the building, how much is being circulated, particularly how much energy the building is consuming and how that's being mitigated through sustainable features of the building. So yeah, it's definitely becoming part of it. I think that's twofold. One, it's a reflection of the landlord's ambitions, but also it does help with marketing because this is what tenants wants to see. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Absolutely. And then for the investors that are looking to purchase commercial accommodation, how important is it for them um, to be 
keeping in mind the ESG agenda? Well, I think it's very important for a lot of the reasons we just, we've kind of discussed, but that does lead on to, a, you know, an interesting point about the changing of EPC regulations, which most people will be well versed in, but effectively a building that is EPCE will no longer be lettable by law as of April this year. Now, thankfully, a lot of buildings are already over that. But if I was an incoming investor, I'd be certainly looking at what was required to bring that building above an E day one at a very, and that's, you know, that's real basics. Absolutely. And in terms of um, giving some advice, what else do you think that our landlords could be doing to try and improve the EPCs? Well, I think there's, you know, there's there's fairly sort of basic stuff. And LED lighting is always one that is flagged up as a sort of a low-hanging fruit. There's also looking at things like insulation, replacing of boilers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I think are basic things that will get the building up to an, an EPC of E. But I would reiterate mm-hmm. really that things have moved on from just looking at an EPC. That's very much just a mandatory target to get through. I think in terms of really making a building stand out, there are a lot more features a, a landlord should be looking at. Johnny, could you just elaborate on that for those that aren't as well adverse into the real estate sector as you and I? Sure. So I think a lot of work can be done, particularly in office buildings, on facade design and minimising solar gain. So effectively, how much the building is being heated up on a sunny day and therefore how much energy is required to cool it. I think timber construction is a really interesting evolution that's certainly you're seeing in some of the more progressive landlords rolling out using cross-laminated timber. Rainwater harvesting is an interesting thing to explore. What I think the future of this will evolve into is a real examination of supply chains and where the actual resources or materials used to construct the building are sourced from. There's no point in building a building out of steel that's been flown or sailed halfway around the world if you're then going to claim that it's it's ultimately sustainable. So I think that in order to be truly sustainable and really focus on these things, every decision has to be looked at through a sustainability lens, if you will. And so, uh, you know, it has to be taken from the ground up. I think if landlords are looking at it, it as a pure bolt-on at the end of the process, then something has probably gone wrong at the start of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And just to reiterate that, obviously, with the EPC changes coming into effect from the 1st of April 2023, that's for new and existing commercial lettings, which will need a minimum of an EPC rating E, which is making it obviously a legal requirement. What we shouldn't forget, and we shouldn't just be going to an E for 2023, we need to be putting further strategies in place because by 2027, the ratings go to a C. And then by 2030, we need to be having the ratings to a B. So I think at the moment, the landlords are currently fully responsible for EPC compliance rather than the tenants. But I think we've spoken about this offline, but we strongly recommend and encourage more collaboration between both the landlord and the tenants, because ultimately, the tenant is going to want a building that is as energy efficient as possible. Yeah, agreed. I think this this sort of brings on quite nicely to a a potential issue that I think both landlords and tenants should be aware of. But, you know, if if a building does sit below E at the moment, some works are going to have to be done to it in in the near term in order to bring it to compliance effectively. Now, 
if there's a tenant in situ and the landlord wants to access the building in order to improve it from an EPC perspective, there's a number of potential clashes that could unfold there. I mean, you know, on one hand, a tenant has a right to quiet enjoyment, but equally a landlord also has to comply with government regulations. So, yes, a collaborative approach between landlord and tenant to do that is is advised, but equally there isn't really a precedent of how this is going to work in practice. If, for example, you're looking at a factory that makes widgets and has a production line that's running 24-7, for a landlord to come in and do major works, you know, is that production line going to stop? How does mm-hmm. that how does that work in practice? And I really do think landlords and tenants have to be mindful of this. A lot of new leases you'll see will have provisions for this. However, if you're looking at a historic lease that's 10 or 15 years old where, you know, this 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 sort of new regulation wasn't anticipated, it isn't really dealt with in a satisfactory manner. Um, and we would certainly advise our clients, whether it be a landlord or tenant, just to be mindful of what that actually looks like in practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also with any building improvements associated with obviously an improved EPC, it could ultimately mean a rental increase. And when it comes down to those tenants that have been in occupation for quite some time, again, it shouldn't really be being passed over to a tenant if they've done the works, because the landlord shouldn't be able to rentalise it. But at the same time, if a landlord is contributing to quite substantial capital into approving the units, then we can only anticipate rent increases. So I think there's going to be a whole reassessment from tenants and landlords. And for one thing, nobody should be burying their heads in the sand. It's coming. And I think all landlords and tenants need to be prepared. Agreed. And it comes down, you know, to the fundamentals of a, of a good landlord-tenant relationship, number one, but also having a, a appropriately drafted lease and understanding what these things actually mean for future occupation. And we're certainly seeing that when we are involved in drafting new leases going forward, where there are clauses that allow landlords to add things like photovoltaics, and they're relatively ambiguous on where those costs lie. And we've certainly, you know, written it in that our, that our clients, when they happen to be a tenant in that example, aren't going to be liable for fitting of photovoltaic cells on a roof, for example. So, you know, as with everything, things move and change. None of it is necessarily a problem as long as you understand what you're dealing with and, of course, are properly advised. Yeah, absolutely. So you're saying landlords should prepare now for changes, starting with reviewing all of their properties to understand whether they fall below that kind of minimal threshold. And certainly recommend basically the landlords consulting and engaging with their occupiers in respect to any proposed works and associated costs. And then you mentioned about for both new and existing tenants, again, they need to be mindful of what the current EPC is and what the recommendations within the report so they can understand where they fit in terms of the minimum threshold so they can review their lease and understand what costs may be passed on to them so that they can then obviously budget and understand what they need to do for the future. Absolutely. I mean, I think as with all these things, you know, as it goes with an APC answer, always look back at the lease because the lease the lease will define what's going on. But but yeah, I mean, these are, these are all certainly things which any prudent landlord and tenant should be doing. I would be surprised if most haven't done so already because this is something that's coming in shortly. But equally, you know, if it hasn't been done, it certainly needs to be done pretty quick. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I've just got one final question then in terms of clients that you're advising on the investment side. Um, how are they reviewing this strategy? Are they are they only looking for buildings that are below an E? Are they seeing it as an opportunity or is it the other way around? Well, I think, you know, there is there are there obviously value-add investors are looking at buildings with low EPC because that is probably reflective of something that is ultimately going to be requiring refurbishment and therefore value-add. I think there are a good number of investors now that are seeing a real opportunity to up the whole ESG offering of a building in order to match tenant demand. So I think it's more looking at refurbishment projects and thinking, well, how can we actually create a building that is more future-proofed by integrating all you know all these things that we've kind of talked about? But you know, investors are definitely mindful of it. And I'd go back to my point about a developer or looking at who his end client is in terms of selling the investment on. And if it is a large institutional fund, they need to be wary of what those guys want to buy. And some of them are going to be restricted on what they can buy. And at the moment, that is based a lot around EPC. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that comes to the end of our formal interview. I'm pleased to say, or you'll be pleased to say, or (laughs) you'll be pleased that I said. (laughs) Anyway, so... Right. So our quick fire questions. What does legacy mean to you? I think that for me, legacy, I guess it's a little bit corny, but I think being able to look at your children in inverted commas, I mean, teach people in the future and say, well, I did something that was actually useful and meaningful. And these are the reasons I did it, I think is would be a really nice touch probably taking your children to say that I did that deal and um, I developed this scheme. Yeah, or I don't, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I mean that on actually a professional and personal perspective. You know, this is the reason that, you know, we moved to this place. This is the reason that I did that bit of work. And, you know, these are these are why we did it. And these are the positive things that it's created. I think, I think it's a holistic thing. But yeah. Next question, given that you've only recently moved to the South Coast, what is the best part of living here? Well, it's all about the sea. <laughs> Full stop, being close to water. It's something that uh, I find refreshing every time I see it. And Even at minus five today. Particularly refreshing at minus five. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, a, it's just a nice atmosphere. I think, you know, I've, I've noted that a lot of people that live on the South Coast really enjoy it for what it is that there's a lot of activities that you can do whether it be on the water or in the downs um that sort of surround it you know people have a very much an outdoor lifestyle and that is that's very important fantastic and my last question is do you have a favorite mantra that you live by i kind of i get wary sometimes of, of of these instagrammable quotes and stuff like that about mantras and things like that i'm not sure it's <laughs> that's my cup of tea but i did read one that resonated with me the other day that didn't make me stop and think but it was it was a Theodore Roosevelt quote and it said comparison is the thief of joy and I thought it was quite interesting ah. you know if you live if you live your life comparing what you're doing at that moment to what everyone else is doing it has a real possibility to to rob you of enjoyment and I thought that was I actually no, made me stop terrible. and think it made me stop and think and as I say I'm not one for sort of cheesy quotes and painting them on walls and all that kind of stuff. But um, I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, don't come to my house. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I really like that one. And I, um, yeah, I think I might write that one down because I think you can't compare yourself, right? We're all running our own race and playing our own game. So, yeah, yeah no, that is powerful. Thank well, you very much. We can sew it onto a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, Amiga RE's uh, next motto. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that is the end of episode seven of the Let's Talk South Coast podcast. I've been your host, Nella Pang, and I thank you, Johnny, for joining us today. Um, so for anyone that has any further questions on ESG or EPCs or wants to get in touch in terms of relocating your business or disposing of any assets, how is it best for them to contact you, Johnny? Yeah, well, it's it's a huge topic and people will have lots of questions you know, we we advise as best we can, but equally, if there's things that we can't do, we have a network of people that can help out clients. So our contact details are on the Amigari website, and we'd love to hear from anyone. Otherwise, his email address will be in the show notes, and you can connect with Johnny on LinkedIn, as well as myself. And we look forward to connecting with you. So until next time, thank you very much for joining us. Cheers, Ella. Thanks for that. It's good fun. This show will be airing every Wednesday, showcasing the opportunities available in our region. If you enjoyed the show, do join us on this mission to create a better work-life balance on the South Coast and subscribe to the show. If you want to understand more on investing in commercial real estate on the South Coast, then drop Nella an email, nella at omega-re.co.uk. Your host today has been Nella Pang. Thank you for listening to the Let's Talk South Coast podcast. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.